And I'm going to be sharing this morning a little bit of my testimony around how faithful he's been to me um, as, a, as a way to encourage some of you that may not have been around as long or you may be going through some things today and you've forgotten how faithful he's been to you. And we can do that. We get so focused on where we are and what we've got to deal with ahead and maybe what's happened in the immediate past that we forget we forget we're still here. And we're still here by His grace and by His faithfulness. And if He's been faithful enough to get us here, He's going to be faithful enough to get us through. And the problem is we look too much at ourselves and how faithful we've been or not been. And that's why the words of that song are so powerful because it talks about the times when I've doubted, the times that I've been faithless, the times that I was felt too distant from him to even pray, and we've all gone through those times, and yet in our faithlessness, he's remained faithful. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning, as we've come through this season, this week of thanksgiving, Lord, your word does not set aside a day or a week to be thankful, but tells us that every day we are to be thankful to you. For you have done so much for us. And Father, today we've come to celebrate your faithfulness to our lives, your faithfulness to this body, your faithfulness, Lord, in the past, and we know, therefore, your faithfulness in the future. Father, I ask you this morning that you would guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, that they may give honor to you, that they may accurately characterize and accurately communicate by the anointing of your Spirit what you want to show us today. For again, there are things our eyes have not seen and our ears have not heard, nor have they entered into our hearts all that you have prepared for those who love you, but you've given us your Spirit to reveal those things. And so we look to and expect the Holy Spirit today to do just that, open our eyes, our ears, and our understanding to see what it is you want each one of us to see this morning for our own lives and for this body. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Open to Psalm 100. I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures because I want to show you the scriptural basis for this and tell you a little bit about why, how I, why I felt led to go in this direction for today. And then we'll get into it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you saints. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. That's what we've been doing. Know that the Lord, He is God. And this is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise be thankful to him and bless his name, <clears throat> for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Now I go to Psalm 145. We'll read the whole thing. I will extol you, <clears throat> my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you. 
I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. This is what I want you to see. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It's important that we learn to tell the other generations the things that God has done in our lives. Because it's when you see them done in someone's life, when you see God working in your life, that the words of these pages become more than theory. They become more than concepts and doctrines and teachings. They become a living relationship. You cannot have a relationship with God if he's a concept to you, if he's a principle to you, if he's a good idea to you, if he's an obligation to you. You can have a living relationship with someone who interacts with you, who communicates with you, who hears you and responds to you, and whom you hear and to whom you respond. That's how a relationship develops. If you just sit on the other side of the kitchen table every morning with a newspaper in your face and you just have a spouse on the other side who's only just ever a spouse, you're never going to develop a meaningful relationship with her or with him. You're going to be married but not enjoy your marriage because it's getting to know each other. Well, the same is true in your relationship with God. It's getting to know him. Oh, this is good. It's not just getting in to know him individually but it's together getting to know him as a congregation. Each church, God has a different relationship with. And there are lots of similarities. But there's a different flavor. There's a different purpose. There's a different, there's a different walk. All consistent with the word of God. But he knows each one of us personally. And that's part of why I'm going to share what I'm going to share this morning. But the principle here, what he's showing here, is, is we need to share with the younger generations what God has done in our lives. So that when they see God at work in your life, somebody that they know, that they hear, that they have an experience with, that they know is not perfect, then that gives them hope that God will do that in them. So one of the values of sharing testimonies, it gives people hope that if God's done it in you, He's going to do it in me. Another value is when we share our testimony with others, it reminds us of what God has done for us. I remember sitting down with somebody a few years ago who was going through a very challenging financial time, and I wasn't even planning to do this. I just started sharing some of the things, and I'll share a few of them with you this morning, that God has done in our lives and how God brought us through some situation. And you could just see hope rise in that person. You could see their countenance change. And then I realized what this was doing for me because I'd forgotten most of those things. And then I remembered it. It brought the memory of it back again. I was reliving what it was like to go through that. And I came out of that time just so energized and no circumstance in my life had changed. But I'd gone back and remembered what God had done for us, done for, for me and for our family. And so that's the, one of the reasons, is, as, he said, as David says here in the Psalms, is one generation needs to share, needs to tell God's works and his mighty deeds to another generation. Verse 5. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wonderful works. Men shall speak of your, the mighty acts of your awesome act, might of your mighty awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter, now what have you been declaring lately? Think back, listen to yourself, 
And, and what's, what's been coming out of your mouth lately? The wonderful deeds that God has done in your life or the things the devil's been doing? Who are you giving testimony to? Well, the next verse is good. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are all over, his, all, over all His works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and the talk of your power to make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. That ought to encourage somebody this morning. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season and you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. You may say, but yeah, but his, I don't see his hand open to me. I don't see him taking care of me. Have you been declaring his mighty works? The Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. This means respect or reverence Him. He will also hear the cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says that, to, that, we are not, that we are to be content and not be anxious with what we have. Don't you know that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you? And I want to just share with you a little bit out of our life about how God's been faithful to not leave us and forsake us. But before I do that, I just want to let you know that, that one of the most beloved Psalms, one of the most beloved uh, uh, sections of Scripture, not even to Christians, is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me into paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell. I will dwell. I will dwell. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow, that stirs me up. I remember years ago being suggested by a minister just on some uh, a radio program I heard because I was facing a very uh, uh, facing a situation from my childhood that I had to go back and, and deal with and it was it was scary to me because it was it had bad memories and I remember you know if you're facing a difficult situation try saying that psalm out loud three times a day take it for breakfast lunch and dinner and I decided to do that and oh it changed how I saw the situation but that psalm was not written by King David sitting in his throne room. It was not written by King David sitting in a theological seminary saying, you know what, I think I'm going to write this beautiful poem. Because it was to the, to the Jews, it was not just a poem, it was, their, it was their worship music. I think I'll write this. Let me see. What would be a good image to create? 
No, 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 no. He wrote this as a result of experiences he had out not in the palace, but as a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep out in the wilderness all by his lonesome with just the sheep, the bears, the lions, and his God. And he found how his God would come through for him. He found by experience what that he could turn to God. He couldn't turn to anybody else. When you're out there by yourself with just the sheep, there's no other resource. You can't go to Walmart. You can't, you know, he couldn't pick up his cell phone. He couldn't text somebody. He had nowhere else to go, but he learned to go to the one that loved him more than any, that could help him more than any, and that was with him in the wilderness with the sheep facing the bear and the lion and the other enemies. He learned it by the experiences that he went through as a result. He could write these words and testify of what he knew his God would do by personal experience. That's why when it came time, it went to challenge Goliath. And King Saul wanted to offer him his, 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 his armor. He said, I haven't tested these. I don't know what these will do. But I know what my God will do because my God delivered me from the bear. My God delivered me from the lion. And my God will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Who is he compared to my shepherd who I know what he'll do because I know what he's done for me already. David was rehearsing for himself, reminding himself of what God had already done for him. Turn to Romans 8. We'll look at someone else that did this too. Apostle Paul writes this. Romans 8, Romans is one of the great theological treatises in the Bible. It, it brings the, the, the New Testament into focus. And the cornerstone of it is chapter 8. Paul, very intellectual, highly educated. Very, very uh, uh, um, well-spoken. Writes these words that also are very comforting. We'll pick up here in uh, verse 31, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up from us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. Furthermore, he's also risen. He's even at the right hand of the Father who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? This is what I wanted to get to. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us now look at this for I am persuaded what persuaded Paul? sitting in the library of the theological school he graduated from reading the ancient texts is that how he became persuaded? No. He knew those. But what persuaded Paul is every one of the things we're going to see listed here, God had brought him through more than once. See, we look at the Apostle Paul as this great tower of strength in himself, but you need to read his testimony. 
We talked about this a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 begins by talking about how he became so worn down and so discouraged that he despaired even of his own life. He wanted to die and get out of here. Which is interesting in Philippians chapter 1, he's given, you know, given the choice, he says, I don't know which to do. But in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he knew which one he wanted. That's how weary he was and worn down he was by the buffeting that was sent against him. He was shipwrecked a night and day. He goes through the things he went through. Let alone, he said, the cares of the church I carry around with me. All of these things wore down on him. And yet through all of these, nothing stopped him. How did he learn that in all the stuff of life, say, you're not the only one going through stuff. Paul went through stuff. David went through stuff. Jesus went through stuff. And he said, in this world, you will have stuff. That's not the word he uses. He said tribulation, but it's stuff. So when Paul writes these words that he was persuaded, he's persuaded because he's been in every one of these situations over and over again. And every time he's seen his God deliver him, when he was strong, God delivered him. When he was weak, God delivered him. When he was strong in faith, God delivered him. When he was weak in faith, God delivered him. Because he learned the secret. Whether he was strong or whether he was weak, he turned to his God to deliver him and not to himself. Oh, I love these words. For I am persuaded, convinced, you can't talk me out of it. It's too late to come to me and tell me God's not real. You're too late. I've seen Him work in my life where nothing else worked. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities or powers, that's demonic things, nor things present, oh, look at this one, nor things to come. Oh, I'm scared, Pastor, about what's going to happen. Paul says, I'm persuaded that whatever comes, it isn't going to matter. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, look at this, this is what he's persuaded of, shall ever be able to separate me, us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was persuaded that no matter what came or what was going to come, it couldn't separate him from God's love. Say, well, I used to read that and say, well, yeah, that's nice. God loves me from heaven, but what about the mess I'm in right now? Well, we're going to find out if you'll let him. He wants to love you through, out of, deliver you. But so much of the time, we try to handle it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own resources, and then when all of that doesn't work, we cry out to him. All right. So based on Psalm 145, where it talks about telling the next generation, telling other generations of what God is going to do, it helps us again in every situation to remember. It makes Him more real to us. 
and it gives us hope and creates hope again. Now, I'm, I'm, the purpose of this, let me give you a little bit of background about where, how this developed in me. When John Bevere was here, um, for those of you that were here that, that Wednesday night, what a powerful night that was, he talked about the grace in the Bible, and he's absolutely right. Grace means so much more than just God's unmerited favor. You know, God's disposed towards me. That's passive. That means God's not going to get ticked off with me because he understands through the cross, he loves me in spite of, you know, the, the things that I do or don't do. He still loves me, and he has favor towards me, and I don't earn it. That's what unmerited favor is like on the surface. And what he got into with us is grace means so much more than that. It's God's ability it's God's ability in whatever the situation is, especially when you can't do something. And it's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. And on the way from here that night to take him back to the hotel, I just shared a couple of stories out of my own life. And he said to me, he says, you need to share that with the congregation. Well, we went and waited for a vacation the next, the next day. And, you know, I didn't forget about it. I just kind of tucked it in the back. I don't want to do it just because John Bevere says to do it. I want to know God's timing and what God wants to do. And I was in here... I've been really felt drawn to be in here more praying, just in God's presence, going back over things that he's done, just what we're talking about, just talking things out with him and then listening to what he has to say. It's like a magnet's in here. I'm draw- Every time I can get in here, I'm, I, I get in here to do that. And I'm finding God forming things in me and getting things ready in me and get- so that we can all get ready together. For, for what he wants to do in our lives and for next year. Because there's changes coming. That's all I can tell you. I, there's changes coming. And, and, you know, we kind of, oh, God's changes are always good. God's changes are always good. And so I was in here, and, uh, uh, and, and it was um, Wednesday morning. And actually, I got up Wednesday morning, and I had been asked by uh, Brent Gilliam, the headmaster at SCA, to, uh, he said, you know, this is the kid's, they have a, a, a special Thanksgiving morning in school here. You know, they're going to watch something, you know, and they're going to have a little food and something like that. But would you please come in and just share a little something about Thanksgiving? Now, I'm used to teaching adults, all right? I'm, you know, I've got, I've got K-4 through 8th grade I'm going to try to share something meaningful to. And I got up in the morning and remembered, I knew I was going to do this, but I hadn't really thought about what to share and I said, well, how long do I have? And he said, keep in mind, you've got four-year-olds. <laughs> and then up here on the screen is the picture of the first frame of Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. They're much more interested in seeing Charlie Brown than hearing a white-haired pastor tell them some doctrine. So I'm saying, Lord, I got up in the morning and I got my Bible and I'm I'm just, you know, talking to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know, what do I do? I, you know, I can just do something. But it's something meaningful. And something just formed in here. Just a little kernel of something. And I knew that was it. And I came in here and, and I, I caught up. You know, they introduced, I caught up. And I just started to share it. And what came out of me was just right. It just was right. And the kids were engaged in it. And then it was over when it needed to be over. And, you know, I'm a preacher. I'll go on as long as, you know, but, I, but there's a time to end it. And so, and it just, it was, it was just, I came away from that. See, that was a little thing, but I came away from that marveling. God, how faithful you are to me. But see, when, you, when you're thankful and remember the little things, this is exactly what happened then. 
So I went to go in my study because on Wednesdays I try to spend time in my study and I was going to use Wednesday to study for today so that with my family I could spend Friday with my family instead of in here working. And, and, uh, and as I go in there, they ask me, what's the title for Sunday's message? Because it was Wednesday and they weren't going to be here on Friday to set it up either. And I'm saying, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I haven't started yet. You know, and I understand you want, you need a title, but you know, I don't, I have no clue. So I just came in here and just started, you know, just getting into God's presence. And as I did that, the same thing that happened sitting on my couch for the little Thanksgiving sharing began to form in here. And I realized that was God answering me. And then I began to remember other things he's done for me like that. And the Lord showed me, that's what I want you to share. It's his faithfulness. I mean, we can talk about God's faithfulness to do things for us. And those are wonderful. But there's a greater faithfulness. And it's a faithfulness to no matter where you're going through, no matter what you've done or not done, no matter how strong you are, how weak you are, a faithfulness that he will never leave you or forsake you. And that doesn't mean he's never going to leave you or forsake you because he's sitting in heaven and he's looking at you and say, yeah, I know where they are, I'm not going to leave them. No, he was joined to you. When you came to Christ, the spirit of that God was birthed in you and he has promised to not leave you. But what we do is we leave him. So we get into a crisis and we get in a situation and our first instinct is to look at ourselves, our resources, how faithful we've been or not been and say, oh my goodness, I really haven't prayed as much as I should have this week. Therefore, I really can't expect God to help me. But he's faithful. In fact, some of the stories I'm going to share with you was when I felt his presence the least and when I deserved his help the least and yet he was faithful to show me what to do and to give me direction. I want to talk a little bit about, again, so the purpose of this is not to tell you, my, you know, I was born in such and such a place and, I, you know, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I want to share a few stories as examples of what I'm talking about, just from my own life, just from my own experiences of walking with him for some 34 years, just even how I got saved. I mean, I was, as a, as a young Young boy, I had a desire in my heart. I, there was something in me about ministry, but then as I got older and, you know, went to college and then went to law school, I just forgot all about God, forgot all, you know, just forgot all about that stuff. I had a career in front of me. I had a family, then I got married, had a family, you know, and just, I've got a career, I'm going to just launch into this career. And, and about um, 10 years into it, um, we were going through a struggle in our marriage. It was just, you know, we were growing apart. And... Uh, um, we had a, 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 one of those nights where you have a, uh, an intense discussion. <laughs> and I stormed out of the house, as I was accustomed to doing when I would get upset. And uh, I'm walking out, and we had just, it had just snowed, one of those heavy snows, and, and it was fresh, and so there was nobody else out, and it was cold. And I walked until I began to cool off. And then I suddenly realized where I was. I didn't even know where I was. I can't remember where I was physically, but realized where I was emotionally. And once I had calmed down and cooled off, I realized how cold it was outside and how empty things were outside. And suddenly it hit me, but I was colder inside 
and I was emptier inside. That didn't come to my mind. That was something I saw in here. I didn't know then, but that's the Holy Spirit knocking. That's the Holy Spirit beginning to move things around so that we could see him. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that it's Satan that blinds the eyes of those that don't believe so that they don't see the light of the glory of the hope of the gospel that's in Christ Jesus. I was blinded to it, and he's beginning to move things around in me. I remember sitting down because we had went into Lent, and then we sang, which we celebrated in our church, sat down and went with our, uh, the pastor of the church, who is, to my knowledge was not born again. If he was, you know, he did a good job of hiding it. His, his sermons were basically travelogues of places he's visited. Um, and, and I, you know, sharing with him that something was going on inside him and he didn't know what it was. And, and, and he just looked at me and says, well, let's have another piece of cake. He had no idea what to tell me because he had nothing to give me because he was just as empty inside. He just didn't know it. This went all through that year. And that Christmas time, I go to a, into a, the, the Christmas Eve service in our church, a beautiful stone church and candlelight service. And Anita was home wrapping. We had just had two children at the time. She was home, you know, doing the stuff, cooking, getting all that stuff ready. And I just felt, you know, I'm a deacon in the church. I ought to go. So I go and I go and sit in the back because I was late. And I'm sitting in the back and they're playing music. And again, there's nothing spiritually alive in this church that I could tell. And suddenly, I start crying. And you had to know me back. I didn't cry. I mean, if you ran over my foot, I wouldn't cry. Just out of stubbornness, I wouldn't cry. And I'm starting to cry. And it's, it's welling up inside of me, and I don't know what's going on inside of me. And, and I realize, and now it's, now it's not just tears. I'm starting to lose it. I got so scared, I ran out the back of the church, got in the car. It was only a few blocks, fortunately. I'm not sure I would have made it burst in the door and just fell apart. And my life was, what is going on with him? Well, it was the Holy Spirit softening my heart. Well, my mind had all kinds of questions and arguments because I was a philosophy major in college and I was a lawyer for 10 years. I had all kinds of compartments and organizations and outlines and concepts and principles that he was going to have to deal with. And I had an attitude. We New Englanders can have an attitude about things. And I had an attitude, first of all, because most of the people I heard preaching the gospel on TV were from the South. And forgive me if you're from the South, because I don't have this anymore. It's before I got saved. I figured if you had an accent like that, you weren't as educated. This was the New Englanders have that prejudice. Yeah, that's right. Used to be. So I just didn't listen. And I had an attitude that that. Christianity was for women. This is, I'm just talking where I came from, not where I am now. That it was for women and weak men. That's what I thought, because we don't need that. I'm going to show you God's faithfulness. Somewhere, I can't remember how, someone handed me a book called Born Again by a man named Chuck Colson. Those of you who don't know who he was, he just went home to be with the Lord earlier this year. Chuck Colson, at the time that, that, that I had practiced law in, was the managing partner of the second largest law firm in Boston, right across the street from my law firm. He had become President Nixon's personal counsel through the Watergate mess. And in the middle of all that, he gets saved. 
Now, he doesn't fit my image of a Christian. I mean, I know the firm. I know lawyers in the firm. And God's getting close to home here now. Not only that, the man that led him to the Lord was the CEO of the Raytheon Corporation. This doesn't fit my image. And then God began to bring across my path uh, executive vice president of American Optical, uh, uh, other people that were, didn't fit my image. And he's, but what I want you to see is I wasn't looking for God. I was running. But God was looking for me. And I've got a secret for you. None of you look for him either. If you think you did, it's because he drew you. And I kept raising objection. And obje- I mean, God, the creator of the universe is seeking me. He's knocking at the door of my life. And I'm, ah, I don't know here, you know. And I'm backing away. We talked last week about being at enmity with God. But he's so faithful. He kept coming and patient. And we're talking about a year and a half process here. I hear records that would stir me up in here and my mind would balk at it. One night in my, I was getting in agony. My family go to bed. I'm in agony because I'm now really struggling from all this. And, and I, I remember in my living room so clearly, you know, what is going on? What's going, I was getting upset at God. And, I didn't, you know, and all of a sudden I saw the issue by His grace. The issue was I was afraid to find out if Jesus was real or not because I was afraid of being disappointed if I found out he wasn't. And God's light, the light of the Holy Spirit, showed me where I was, and then he gave me the answer. He said, aren't you better off finding out he's not real than living in this agony that you're struggling with? Because we're going on for months. And I would do anything to get out of that agony. There was an agony in here, which the Bible calls conviction. The great awakenings of Charles Finney and of Jonathan Edwards, they had a belief that, 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 that before you could really give your life to Christ, you had to go through a process of conviction where you really came face to face with what you really were like apart from God and where you really were headed apart from Christ. And, and, and they wouldn't lead you in the sinner's prayer until they were convinced you'd come through that process. The amazing thing is they had very few people backslide. They knew why they got saved. And that's what I was going through. And then just at the height of this agony, God gave me this answer. He said, wouldn't you better be better off at least knowing, finding out that he's not real than going through this agony? And that was the key I needed. Yes. I'm talking to him now. <laughs> yes. And so here's, here's the great... Faith declaration of your pastor. Jesus, I don't know whether you're real or not, but I'll give you a shot. (laughs) Isn't that gracious of me? (laughs) He hung on a cross bearing my sin in the agony to give me this opportunity and my attitude is, I'm almost doing him a favor. But he's still, when I open that door, I don't know whether you're real or not, but if you're real, take a shot.
basically is what I was saying. And all I did is give him this opening. But I'm telling you, he flooded in. He flooded in. I can still remember 34 some years later jumping around in my living room saying, He's real, He's real, He's real, He's real, He's real, He's real. I couldn't sleep that night when I got up the next morning. I mean, I'm in my late 30s. I felt like I was a teenager that had just fallen in love for the first time. Everybody looked beautiful to me. The big heavy guy that we, you know, I bought my donuts from in the morning, you know, he was smiled at me, and I would have, could have kissed him. I, every lawyer in the office looked beautiful to me. Because I had fallen in love with the one who loved me through all of that. He was faithful to do that. Faithful. 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 Fast forward the story. A few years later, I feel God's called me into the ministry. I don't know what to do. Now, what I'm going to share with you are some situations I got my family in by being stupid. There's no other word. Stupid. We were new in the Lord. Thought, you know, God's called me. I'm just going to run out and just serve God with all my heart and did some stupid things. There's no other word for it. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) So I believe what we, God's called us to do is to, is to go to Bible school out in Tulsa. And I believe, it was, I believe it was right. The timing may not have been his, but we went. We just sold everything. Took, took our two kids and got in a car and headed to Tulsa. Got out there and found out my wife was pregnant in our late 30s. And then later found out it was twins. I had no job. No insurance. We sold the house and took everything from that house and bought a new house for cash, fortunately, because the difference in values out there, and then lived off the difference for a year. Stupid. But that's what we did. Blessing of it is I got to spend time with the children when they were born and help with that process. We got to the point where we literally ran out of money. So you can look, sometimes people look at me and say, well, you were a lawyer, you know, you're a senior pastor, you know. You have no idea some of the things we went through. I don't know what we're, we're going to eat. And out of desperation, I turned to God. I said, I, you know, I don't know how we got in this situation. I know it wasn't you, but we need some food on the table. I go to the mailbox, and there's an envelope in there from somebody from back home saying, you know, I forgot that I borrowed $100 from you. Here's a check for $100. Thank you, Lord. We've got food on the table this week. Next Saturday, go. To, there's an envelope, a card from dear friends of ours back home. Just thinking of you. It's a check for $100. Oh, I got this figured out now. <laughs> Don't have to hit me more than twice. I got this figured out. So next Saturday, boy, I'm full of faith. I go to the mailbox, open the Nothing. I'm like the prophet where the, the raven stopped bringing the food. <laughs> and said, God, what do I do? I mean, see, it's easy to stand up here and tell a story. It's a very, I got four kids. I got to still pay the hospital for the four kids, <laughs> for two of them. No job, 
I'm in school, so I can't just take any kind of job. I got to shorten the story down. I remembered somebody that the law firm I hear of that I'd left a name they'd given me. And I found the name and looked the guy up and called him. He said, I've been waiting for a year and a half to hear from you. Because they'd called him from Boston to tell him I was coming. So God had a job for me for a year and a half. But I never looked for it or asked for it. I never asked him about it. I just launched out on my own what I thought was what I wanted to do. So I go in to talk to them and God, you know, sets it all. I've got favor there. I can work from home. I I can work. He'll pay me hourly so I can, because I'm still in school. I can work as much or as little as I want. And, and, and the only problem is it doesn't, earn, doesn't pay enough money. So I said, no. I get up the next morning and I'm shaving. God often talks to me when I'm taking a shower, when I'm doing something other than talking to him or look, listening. And, and he said, why did you turn the job down? I said, well, it didn't pay enough. He said, what were the hours like? I said, they're perfect. Was there favor there? Oh, yeah, I had favor there. Then why did you turn the job down? It doesn't pay enough. Can you, are the working, I said, I can work from home, I can do what I want, it's great. Why'd you turn it down? It doesn't pay enough. And then he hit me with this line. Don't you think I can take care of that? And I had to repent. I called the senior partner back up and I said, is that shop still open? (laughs) He said, yes. Like, dummy, come on in. And I did that for six months. Now, I had, now I'm getting into aspects of this I never intended to do. I, I had learned early on that God was my source. Now, it's easy to do that when you're in a large law firm making two and a half times what you spend. It's easy to believe that. It's another thing when there's nothing coming in. You've got four kids. Or now I'm in a situation where I've got half coming in of what I need. He was paying me half of what, this job produced half of what I needed. And I determined, I'm not telling you to do this. I had just determined with God, you're my source. I'm never going to go to a man and ask him for a raise because you're my boss. And there's another story that I did in Boston. I'll tell you something later on. And I'm gritting my teeth because I'm now at a point where I've got to do something. So I came in that Friday morning and I said, I said to God, I said, I, 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 this is what I've committed to you, but I have to do something. Please forgive me. So at the end of this day, I'm going to go in and tell him, look, I just can't go on like this. And this is so still vivid to me. We're now talking 30 years ago. I go sit down in my office, get my cup of coffee. Senior partner walks in and he says to me, closes the door. He says, John, I've decided we're not paying you enough. (laughs) So I'm going to give you, bump your salary up. And he gave me the figure and it was exactly what I told God I needed. That's the second time that happened to me. That happened in Boston also. So I'm not done. He says, we really like you. We really like what... See, that's favor. That's what you're looking for. It wasn't my skill. I really like you. We like what you do. You know, and you just fit in well here. And he gets up to leave. Oh, he reaches in his pocket and pulls out an envelope. By the way, here's a check for the difference between what I did pay you and should have paid you for these six months and walks out. I don't remember anything else that day. And listen to me. That money's long gone. 
but I'm reliving the memory of it. The sweetness of seeing God come through for you is worth everything. We moved back here. It's a long story. Again, some stupid decisions I made. And, and we ended up in a situation where, where, where we, we, were, uh, we needed a place to live. And we have four, four kids and you know, dog and other things, you know, which can make it hard to rent. We still owned a house in Oklahoma, which we couldn't sell because the oil and gas industry had fallen apart. So all the money that I'd taken from the house in Boston was sunk in a house I couldn't sell. So I couldn't buy a house here. So we were renting, and it was getting desperate, and we were in a situation where literally, I don't want to go into the details of it, where I had to put my family in different people's houses. This was that bad. And I'm, you know, I'm, my mind's swimming. I'm in fear. I feel condemned. I feel I've failed my family, all this stuff. And I remember the teaching I'd heard by, by Pastor in Tulsa about when you really get in a bad situation, write out a petition to God. Just write it out. Well, I know how to write a petition. It was a legal document. So I wrote out exactly what I had filed in court. This is what your word requires. This is what I've done. Therefore, I'm asking you for this. And I read it out, and I went in and I read this before God and said, this is what your word says. This is what I'm asking you for. Now, here's what I did. Then I expected him to answer. Oh. I started listening in here. This is what I want to talk to you about. His faithfulness so often is by guiding us and giving us wisdom and direction. And I prayed in the Spirit, and I prayed in the Spirit, because I, I knew He was going to answer me in here. Not just now, We often look for circumstances to change, and God will show you something to do in here, because it develops the relationship. You just ask Him, and He moves a mountain for you. That's one thing. But if you ask Him, and He talks to you and says, this is what you need to do, and I'll go through this with you, and I'll hold you by the hand, and I'll direct you, it develops the trust in Him more than your prayers. And I got quiet and listened in here. And one of my, our oldest son's good friend's father was a realtor. And the sense I had in here was to call him. And so, that's all, just call him. So my mind's running ahead. Oh, he's going to have a house. It's going to be just perfect. That's oh, great. God, thank you so much. You know. I call him up and he says, I don't handle rentals. That wasn't the answer I was expecting to get. So I said, well, thank you very much, and I hung the phone up. And he said, I don't have any rentals. I don't handle rentals. Rentals. So I went back in here. I went back to talk to God again, just like I did about the raise. And I said, uh, Lord, that's all I know. I really believe you told me to call him. I, I don't know what that means or how that is going to work. So I got to rest. That's all I know to do at this point. I've got to trust you. I don't remember if it was later that day or the next day. I got a phone call from this realtor saying, I was thinking about you. He said, I got a, a good friend of mine whose house is on the market that I'm handling, and, and he's moved to Cleveland, and his wife is here to sell the house. Now we're hitting the end, the, the end of August, beginning of, of September, and it's been on the market for a while. Let me just take you over and look at it. I might be able to talk them into renting it. I go over there with him, and I walk in this place and said, this is it. Four bedrooms, two acres of land, right near where I work, where I've now had a job. It was just, it was everything. But the problem is, it's for sale. It's not for rent, and I can't buy it. I have the, my money's all tied up in Tulsa. So I don't know, I just, Lord. I just, I do what you said to do. 
Just, I said, yes, I would like this. Oh, by the way, the rent was too high. And uh, so I go back, you know, and, and, and he calls me back later and he says, you know, I've been talking to them. Uh, they're Christians. And they found out that you're a Christian, you've been a pastor. They want to help you out. So she's decided they're going to, she's going to move with her husband and to, to Cleveland and rent the place to you. That was great, except what about the rent? And I said, well, Lord, what about the rent? He says, do you think I can handle that? <laughs> now, here's the issue. It's still on the market. It's still for sale. I'll shorten the story. Five years later, they couldn't sell the house until we were starting to come here. And I knew it was time to move down here because I worked in Worcester. But my family needed to be in church. My, 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 my sons needed to be part of the youth. And it was an hour's drive each way. So I knew we needed to be down here and I could commute to work because the law firm I worked in was in Worcester. But I didn't want to go through this process of moving again. This is how God's so good. So they sold the house. <laughs> After five years, the house sells. And I realized, there, I now have to do something. So we come down here, find a house to rent, because I still couldn't sell the house. Rent the house, and that's when God began to connect us here in a meaningful way. year later, oh, the house we are renting here is, was put on the market for sale. We're visiting family in Ohio. We're on our way back. I go to check, we didn't have cell phones back then. I go to check the voicemail, and the... Our landlord says, oh, by the way, I just sold the house. If, uh, if you'd like it, make an offer today. I'm somewhere in Connecticut at a road stop when I get this message, and it's like four in the afternoon, and I get in the car, and my head's swimming. I don't want to move again. We're just rooted, being rooted here. I don't know where to go, and I say, God, what are we going to do? I, but I got quiet. I expected him to answer. See, see, I'm thinking in terms of this landlord, like, you better, you've got to do this today. And I sense in here, why do you have to do it today? Call him back and tell him you, that you're on the way back, that you need until, you need two more days and you will make an offer. So the next road stop, I pull in, call him, and he accepted that deal. He said, all right, I'll put it off. So I still don't know what to do. I just, that just delays it. So I get home and, you know, my mind's again racing. See, in the middle of all this, I'm not just sitting in perfect peace. My mind's racing, figuring out, you know, the kind of stuff we all go through. But I've learned to listen and hear. He's faithful. And I said, what am I going to do? And a figure came to, to in here. That's all I can tell you is a figure came in here. And I really believe that was God saying, offer that amount. I don't know how he's going to do it. Because the house hasn't sold in Tulsa. 12 years but I felt that's what I was supposed to do so I call him back and his father's the realtor so I call his father and I said this is you know I can offer this much he said well he's already got an offer for more I just was following what was in so I didn't go back and question argue I just said God I believe I did what you said to do it's now in your hands I got a call later in the day, said he's accepted your offer. 
I said, how can he do that? He says, because you didn't go through a broker. So but the other guy's offer was going to be net him more than your offer, was going to net him less than your offer, so he took your offer. Besides, he knew us by now. That's great. How am I going to pay for it? <laughs> now, again, I've got to shorten this down because there's another story I want to tell you. Within one month, that house sold. So we needed a down payment, and we had two aging cars that were breaking down. And I'm driving to Worcester and back every day. Right? That's a trip, isn't it, Neil? What are we going to do? I just went to God. I, got a, I need a down payment for this house, and I need two cars. Now, I'm not telling this is going to happen every time you do this, because God is... I went to the mailbox within a week, and there was a check in that mailbox for everything I needed. From a relative who had passed away and had an insurance policy naming me as a beneficiary, I didn't know... I knew the relative. I didn't know the policy existed. Now, that's never happened before. And it's never happened after because God has all kinds of means He can use. He's the source, not the relative, not the job. He's the source. I want to tell you quickly two stories that have nothing to do with spirituality, that have nothing particularly to do. Let me just make sure I haven't, I've covered every one of those I want to cover. One quick one, then I'll get into those. When we first moved to Oklahoma, had, now we have two older children, twin, twin boys who were eight months at that point in the stroller. This is before 9-11, all that stuff. We were visiting friends here. Have to get back for, for, for this is the day after New Year's. Have to get back. The next day we start classes, and if, we don't, if we're not in class that day, we're out. We arrive at Logan Airport, about 40 minutes before the flight. Now, today, you obviously know you can't do that. I wasn't thinking, again, stupid decision, that we weren't the only people traveling that day. <laughs> Never dawned on me, because I figured the airport and the airlines were there for my benefit. We got there. You couldn't even get near the drop-off place. There were so many people standing there. And I'm looking at my watch, and I want to say there's no way we're going to make it but I wouldn't let those words out of my mouth because with God, there's always a way. And we got luggage all around us. There's people all around. There's chaos, screaming, yelling, and my mind is panicking. I got some kids crying. You know, what are we going to do? And I just pulled aside and I said, God, I, I probably should have thought more clearly and gotten us here earlier, but I didn't. We've got to be back tomorrow. You sent us to that school, I believe. We've got to be back. I don't know how to do this. I just need you to help me. And then I just sat, stood there and rested. And I kid you not, I know finished saying that within myself. I wasn't brought in here. In here a voice behind me said, because we had to fly through St. Louis to go to Tulsa. Is there anybody scheduled for the St. Louis flight? <laughs> and I turned around and said, we are. This is exactly what happened. 
it was an agent from that airline, parted everybody, and we walked through luggage, kids, stroller, and everything. We got on that plane and sat down with five minutes to go. We never ran, never broke a sweat, never got it, and that was not my nature. My my wife will tell you, my nature would be to, you know, what are we going to do? We got to rush like O.J. Simpson through the airport. <laughs> That's what I'm trusting in me. In Oklahoma, I worked in a law firm for a little while. The law firm I was talking about. And a case came in. And in this, this case, it was involved a company that was being a small distributorship of a product that was being... Uh, uh, um, restructured in, in bankruptcy. And what had happened is the company that they bought their main products from had told them to do this because it would solve a problem with their bank, basically. And this guy was nice. He's just, you know, he did what they told him to do. He'd always represented them, done what they told him to do. And they got into the, chap- into the bankruptcy, the Chapter 11, and it all went, it all went bad. The company, they were, they were struggling. The other company wouldn't support them. I don't want to get into all the technical stuff with you. But basically, so we had a hearing, basically whether to shut the case down or not. Now, I was the only person in the small firm who had any experience with bankruptcy cases at all, and I had handled one, and I didn't handle the case for the person I had represented a creditor. But I, that's the only, so they gave the case to me. I am so far over my head, I couldn't see the, I couldn't see the head. <laughs> I sat in conference rooms with, the, with the, the judge and the other two lawyer who were specialists in this. And they're talking terms and bankruptcy code sections I've never heard of before. And then the judge turns to me and says, well, now, Mr. Pfeffer, because I'm now representing the main party, what are you going to do? And all I know to do is write down what they said and then go look it up. I'm so far over my head. I didn't put myself there, but I found myself there. And I'd sit there and say, God, what do I do? Well, it came down to this hearing, and the day before, this was literally the day after Thanksgiving. The day before Thanksgiving, the judge had said, look, you know, I'll give you a chance to present your case on Friday, and then I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. I literally, Thanksgiving night, stayed up all night preparing arguments, cases, all this stuff. I walk into court on Friday morning. We sit down, and the judge who'd been doing this for 35 years said, I've seen this case, this type of case, so many times. I know where this is going. I don't want to have this hearing. I'm going to dismiss this whole... I'm going to, I'm going to fold them up. And I stood up and said, but Your Honor, you told me on Wednesday. And he says, I know what I told you, but I've thought about this. I've changed my mind. You know, I, I know where this case is going. Now, this is not a spiritual issue. I'm just representing somebody. And I said, well, you know, Your Honor, you've changed the whole thing. Can I have a recess, a couple of days? He said, I'll give you 10 minutes. I'd been up all night preparing, and now I've got 10 minutes to reprepare, and he's already told me it's hopeless. So I, got in the, I go out in the foyer, and I can still see this. Lawyers around telling me, do this, don't do this. It's just chaos. And I said, look, I can't, I can't hear you. And I did. I went. I still see it. I went down to the end of this old wooden bench and I just sat down there. I had to get quiet. I pulled out a yellow legal pad and I said, God, I don't know what to do. You put me in this case. There are people's jobs at stake here. I have no idea what to do. It's, it's hopeless by any means. The judges said it's hopeless. And I just sat there and got quiet while there's people, all this chaos out there. And I kid you not, in here, this is God's faithfulness. In here, I heard a question, not in words here, 
but in here. And I know who to, knew who to ask. And I wrote the question. That's all I did. Here I got one pad full of notes from being up all night with my planning. I got another pad with just one question on it that I got from God. I go back in and I call. I knew who to call. He was the regional distributor for the company that supplied the goods. And the question was this. Does this company have plans to open their own store in this city? When I asked that question, all the New York lawyers for that company jumped up and objected, almost screamed. The judge who'd been sitting there half asleep sat up and he said, no, I want to hear this. And he started stammering. He said, well, but what, ha- what was going on was the manufacturing was trying to get rid of this independent distributor and put their own company store in. That's what was underneath. I didn't know that. My client didn't know that. And he lived in me and the whole point is this when I asked him and then I got quiet and listened and expected an answer he was faithful now we moved back here while that case was going on but the lawyers that took it over for me said the whole thing got turned around this all got exposed and this company that, that I represented went on and continued to exist one last story can you handle one more this is the best of all I was working in the firm in Worcester then. And now because of that experience, I was hired, and that's a long story, I was hired by this small firm in Worcester who had a major case coming. If I told you the name of the case, you'd know the, the, the store. That, were, that had 300 shopping center leases. And because I had experience with commercial leases and I now was a bankruptcy lawyer, <laughs> they hired me. I now have to handle this case that was too large for our office. The only asset we ever sold in that case, we, we auctioned, lease is a long technical thing, but we sold property at an auction in Boston, in Worcester, yeah, New York. And the only thing we were ever we were able to sell was one of those for $100,000. And I'm going into the hearing to get this all approved by the judge, and I'm talking to a lawyer next to me. He says, well, you, of course, filed the paper to preserve that lease, didn't you? And I looked at him and said, oh, and under the law, if you don't file that paper in 60 days, that lease is gone, which means the auction where I sold the thing for $100,000, it, it was gone. There was no lease to sell. The only thing that came out of that whole thing, I just lost by my forgetting a deadline. I remember walking into the senior partner's office telling him what happened, said, if you want me to resign, I'll resign. He said, no, no, we'll work this through. My mind just swimming. I mean, this is, this is a Thursday. So I go out on the streets and just walk up and down, and I said, God, I don't know how this happened, but I, I messed up. I, I messed up. I don't know. I didn't do it on purpose, but I messed up. I, have, I don't know what to do. And down in here, ask the judge to reconsider. File a paper asking the judge to reconsider. So once I'd calmed down, I went back in. Now, the, the young lawyer that worked with me in this case had been the clerk to this judge. So I shared with him, I didn't say God told me, I just said, you know, this is what I think I'm going to do. He says, don't waste your time. He's never reversed himself before. 
I don't know what else to do. So I spend all of Friday putting something together because I had a sense of something to say. At 4 o'clock on Friday, I filed this motion asking the judge to change his mind when clearly the law was against me. 4.30, I get a phone call from the judge's clerk saying he set up a hearing by phone on Monday morning. So I went in to tell this associate, and he says, well, that's good news, the fact that he would do that. Now, here's what happened. This is, this is God's faithfulness to me. We get on the phone on a hearing. The law firm on the other side is one of the biggest firms in Boston. They're specialists in this. Great reputation. I go through my presentation, which I have to do, and the lawyer on the other side said, well, Your Honor, the law clearly says... And the judge says, Mr. Pfeffer, I have a question to ask you. This is so much like, did you make a mistake? Lawyers never want to admit they make a mistake because you could be liable, let alone the embarrassment. And I've got to think, am I going to protect myself or am I just going to be honest? And I said, yes, Your Honor, I made a mistake. He said, okay. He said, under Rule 60B of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, he says, I'm justified in overturning a decision for a concept called excusable neglect. <laughs> the other lawyer now starts objecting, and the judge starts arguing my case against the other lawyer. I just was... I wasn't all that smart, but I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut, and the judge starts arguing my case. And this young associate that was that judge's clerk is in this room with me and his jaw drops to his knees. It wasn't because I was so smart. It wasn't because I was, I was in over my head again. I didn't put myself over my head. I found myself over my head. But even in cases where I put myself in there because of my own foolishness or stupidity, when I turned to God in every... And I could tell you others. I was in here praying about God, where do we go? The economy is like this. People are struggling. You know, what are we going to do? And the Lord spoke to me. He says, I brought you through every one of those situations because I showed you what to do. When I took over here, God showed me everything to do. Not always in here. Sometimes it was so somebody else, but he would confirm it in here. And he said, don't you think I'm going to continue to do that? Why would, I, why would I abandon you now? I share this with you because God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you. What he's done for me, he'll do for you. He's, 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 he promised I will never leave you or forsake you. And again, we think of that as God's in heaven saying, yeah, I know where you are, you know, and I'm kind of watching over you. No! He's intimately involved with you. I look back over some situations that I'm not going to tell you about. He war- I just didn't listen to his warnings. Even in this case where I was over my head, the second one, as I looked back, he was showing me, you're over your head, you need to get help, you need to ask for help. But I was too proud. Oh, I can handle this. And yet he still took care of me and delivered me.
And in each case, just about, it was with wisdom directing me, showing me what to do, what to say, and then walking it through with me. He's been faithful to me. And he's been faithful to you. And he will be faithful tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither height nor depth nor principality nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us. Separate us. Separate us. Separate us. Nothing. Nothing. Your mistakes, the economy, your boss, the weather, nothing, nothing can separate you. That means you're joined to it. And nothing can pull you out and separate you from the love of God. God's love for you. God's power on your behalf. God's wisdom. God's direction that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. We have to learn to expect him to be faithful and to look for his faithfulness and to listen for his faithfulness. In each one of those situations I've talked to you about, I had to be willing to push out the noise, not only outside but in my head, because sometimes that's a lot louder, and to get quiet and to listen in here and expect him. Now, one of the things that helps that is you've got to spend, learn to spend time with him. If you only do this when you get in a mess, it's going to be a whole lot harder. He's talking, but it's going to be a whole lot harder for you to separate this from this. Praying in the Spirit helps you because he is a spirit. And he communicates with you by his spirit communicating to your spirit. And if you're not sensitive to your spirit, then it's going to be harder to separate and discern his words, his direction from your thoughts. You ever have that question? Was that me or was that God? That's because you're not used to discerning the difference. So there are things you can do to prepare and to help, but ultimately it's to just... Rest in his faithfulness. I don't know about, well, I do know. I can just tell you this morning that he's been faithful to me.